Well, again, welcome. I am so glad that you are here this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Teresa, and I am one of the pastors here at Boundary. We are in the middle, as I mentioned, of a series called Life on Mission. And this is a series that is very near to my heart because we have been talking for several weeks about missions and being on mission, what it means to live a life on mission. And we've heard from some incredible um, guest speakers who are missionaries in other places and who live a life on mission both far away and here at home. And so this series, um, it speaks to me and is really near and dear to my heart. But as we've talked, kind of several themes kind of have resonated. But the most important thing that we've talked about is that to live a life on mission, one of the key components is that we have to be connected with other people. We have to be um, in relationship, especially with those people who don't know Jesus. You know, Jesus spent time with people. He spent time in relationship, and he got to know a lot of unlikely people, and he tells us to do the same. And so the first thing we have to do is to connect, and we spent time talking about that. And then we talked about what it means to have kind of a foundation of prayer, that we have to start there by being connected to the Father. And then we talked, we spent a week talking about um, that we had to continue growing in our faith. In order to be equipped to share with others and to be on mission, we had to to stay um, growing in our faith. And then last week, we were blessed to have um, Bishop Kofi Niles talk to us about sharing our story. And he told us that for many people, the only Bible they will ever read is us. Our life and the way we live our life is the only Bible, the only Jesus they will ever see. So we need to be prepared to share the reason why we do what we do and to share why we have the hope and joy that we have. But I think that living a life on mission kind of all comes down to just one thing, that we have really just one job. To be on mission, to live a life on mission, really means to witness. That's what we're supposed to do. Jesus told us to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's why we're left here on this planet, so we can do just that. So this week, as we talk about being on mission, we're going to turn and we're going to look at serving, what it means to serve. And we're going to start close to home. We're going to start right in our backyard, and we're going to start with our neighbor. But before we jump into scripture, I want to ask you, I want you to think about, have you ever lived by, or maybe you currently live by, a bad neighbor? Now, if your neighbor happens to be sitting next to you, if your bad neighbor is sitting next to you, do not, I advise you, do not elbow them right now. If you're thinking, I have never lived by a bad neighbor, I just want to caution you, you might be that bad neighbor that your uh, friend is thinking about. But um, I visited recently my daughter. My daughter lives in Chicago in an apartment, and unfortunately, she's the downstairs neighbor, but she has an upstairs neighbor, and this guy is probably a really great guy. I don't know that he is the worst neighbor. I'm pretty sure that he is um, either a professional bowler, and he likes to test his bowling balls at about one o'clock in the morning by like bouncing them to see if they will bounce, or he is a professional undertaker, and he is like dragging dead bodies across the floor all night long. I'm not sure, but I don't think he is the worst neighbor. You may be thinking you've got the worst neighbor. I'm not sure he's the worst neighbor. This guy, I think, is maybe the worst neighbor because he's kind of picking on kids. Whenever the balls in the neighborhood go over his fence, not only will he not let the kids come get the balls, not only will he not give them back, he takes them kind of like a little trophy and he puts them up in his tree like, ha, 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 I've got your ball and you're never going to get it back. And he puts them out of reach for the whole neighborhood to see. 
That guy is a bad neighbor, right? He's truly a bad neighbor. Chances are your neighbor is not that bad, right? So today when we turn and we look at Scripture, and we're going to talk about serving and what it means to serve, especially in the context of serving and loving our neighbor. Scripture actually has a lot to say about that. Jesus has a lot to say about what it means to love our neighbor and to serve our neighbor. So Jesus was asked one day, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, well, the greatest commandment actually has two parts, love God and love your neighbor. Well, the guy who asked that question had a really dumb follow-up question. I know there are teachers in this room who are cringing and saying, well, there are no such thing as dumb questions. I hate to tell you, you are wrong. There are dumb questions, and this guy asked a really dumb follow-up question because he said, well, who's my neighbor? I mean, who's my neighbor? But Jesus knew that what this guy was really doing, he was trying to make sure that he only did what he absolutely had to do and nothing more, that he could get away with just doing only the minimum that was required in order to make God happy. Jesus knew that that was at the heart of it. You probably know people like that. I know I know people like that. We all do, right? That just want to get by with the bare minimum. Maybe it is a coworker or maybe it's an employee. Hopefully it is not a family member, but don't elbow them either if they're sitting next to you, right? But they want to do just the bare minimum. They want to do only what's required. They're always asking, what do I have to do? Hopefully it's not a child or a spouse or a family member. I recently heard a story, some of you may have heard this story too, about a dad and his daughter turned 18. And he was, it was time for him to make his final child support payment. And so this dad, he loads up, he rents this trailer and he loads up the trailer and then he drives to his daughter's house and then he dumps 80,000 pennies in his daughter's yard, right? It was a very, the dad did what was required, technically. He paid his last child support payment, but it was nothing more. It was actually a very hurtful, spiteful action, right? It did not communicate the love that a dad should have for a daughter. His daughter, Avery, redeemed the situation. She took the money and she donated it to a local um, shelter. And her gift actually sparked this wave of generosity. And so far, that shelter has raised over $47,000 in donations. So she took this ugly, spiteful action, and it's been redeemed. But friends, the dad missed the point. He missed the point. He fulfilled this obligation, this requirement, but something that's meant to be given out of love, that's meant to support, that's meant to be a part of demonstrating love. He did what was required, but nothing more. He certainly didn't demonstrate love to his daughter. Love is meant to be given, whether it's returned and reciprocated or not. In the context of today's story, what I'm saying is if you have to ask, who is my neighbor? If this guy has to ask, who's my neighbor? Well, he's already a bad neighbor, right? So Jesus knew that the problem was this guy is not dumb. It's not that he didn't understand. The reality is there were some people that this guy wanted to love, and then there were other people that this guy just didn't want to love, right? 
So Jesus did what Jesus often did, and he decided to tell a story. And if you want to follow along with this, you can. It, the story is in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 27. You can follow along today, or you can look at the story um, later on. But today I'm just going to summarize. We're just going to talk through the story together. So Jesus tells the story, and he says, there is this Jewish guy, and he's in Jerusalem on business, and he's getting ready to go to, to Jericho. It's this 17-mile stretch of road, and it's not a great road, right? There's no highway patrol. There's no street lighting. It's not a good road to travel, and you certainly wouldn't want to be traveling alone there on this road. So the guy is traveling on this road, and he is accosted by a gang of thieves, and he is robbed, and he is beaten up. And he's left on the side of the road for dead. Well, this guy is in really bad shape, Jesus said. And there he is, and he's left on the side of the road. But never fear, because coming along the same road, there is a priest walking along. Now, if you're the guy laying on the side of the road, if you happen to be conscious at all, you look up and you see, oh, it's a man of God. It's a priest. It's a holy man. Like, this is going to be great for me, right? Wrong. Because... The priest, he passes by on the other side of the road. He doesn't even stop. He passes right by. You know, you have to understand that this is Jesus' way of saying to this dumb question guy, hey, look, buddy, this is you. This is you. You are this guy. You are a bad neighbor. Anybody who has to ask, who is my neighbor, is this guy. It's the guy who walks around and who leaves this guy and walks to the other side of the road. This is you. Somehow on the priest's list of things to do, this didn't rank up at the top of the list. Maybe he didn't see the guy. Maybe he's on important church business. Maybe his heart is really callous. Maybe he thinks, well, the guy doesn't deserve any help. Maybe somehow he thinks he knows this guy or he knows this kind of guy, and, and he's a bad guy, and so somebody beat him up, and he should just leave him there. I shouldn't help him. You know, this week, I've, I've been thinking about this story a lot, and really been thinking about all that's going on in our country over this past year. And I've been reflecting on the attitude and really the rhetoric of Christians. And specifically, um, I've struggled with what it looks like for so many Christians to pass judgment on those who've been involved in the violence, some of whom as a result of their own choices or, or their lifestyle. And I feel like the Christian community, I feel like they, or really we as a Christian community, that there have been times when we've just stepped back and we've just washed our hands of the whole thing and we've said, well, I mean, they got themselves into that. Maybe because of the choices they've made or their lifestyle, or sometimes just because of where they are born. And we just step back. But friends, Jesus never tells us. He never says whether this guy is guilty or whether he's innocent because it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter even if this guy is a rival gang member, even if this guy was a bad guy and he got beat up and he got left there. It doesn't matter because the bottom line is this guy is just a human being and he's in need of help. If we're going to be a neighbor, if we're going to be the neighbor that Jesus is telling us that we're supposed to be, it doesn't matter how this guy got there. We've got to be a neighbor. This is the point, that God puts our neighbors around us so that we can witness to them, so that we do not walk around them on the other side of the street. 
Now listen, they may be in your family. They could be in your neighborhood. They could be somebody at work. The point is that I don't know where they are, but God is going to put them right in front of you. He's going to put them in your way. It's not one of those things where you got to go out of your way to go and find them and find where they are. They're going to be right there. And maybe they're going to be in trouble. And maybe even they got themselves into the trouble. But it doesn't matter. Jesus didn't say only help those who didn't do it to themselves. But never fear. The priests walked on the other side of the road. But here comes a Levite. So Scripture tells us that another guy, he comes to the place and he saw him, but he passes on the other side of the road, Jesus says. It's the same scenario, but this time we know a little bit more about this guy. We know this guy is a Levite. If you don't understand what a Levite is, a Levite is kind of like Mr. Clean for Jesus. Most houses have one person who's maybe not so clean and another person who's kind of like OCD clean. Well, this is what this Levite is like. A Levite is like a person who, on behalf of God, is the one who makes sure everything is clean. He makes sure that everybody follows these cleanliness laws so that they're the people who would offer sacrifices for those who were not clean. So one of the rules that they had back in the day was that they couldn't touch dead people. I mean, in general, that's a pretty good rule, don't touch dead people. But the Levite knows that if he rolls this guy over and he finds out that he's already dead, he realizes that he's going to be ceremonially unclean for seven days. And then that means he's not going to be able to go into the temple and do his temple duties that weekend. So the Levite is thinking, hmm, God is more interested in my religious duties than he is in me loving my neighbor. He's more interested, this Levite is more interested in the things that he thinks God wants him to do that really aren't as, as important. So who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Friends, it's literally the person that you'd have to walk out of your way to avoid. But the funny thing is, the priest and the Levite, they actually went out of their way. They go out of their way to avoid this guy. But if you asked them later, they probably would have said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even see the guy. And they might not have. It's an amazing story because one of the things that's important about this text, it says it twice in the text, that both of these guys saw him, but they walked on the other side. But, you know, here's what I think the real problem is. I don't think they actually see him, right? You know what I'm saying? They looked at the man, but they didn't really see him. I, I know I have been guilty of this. Have you ever been guilty of this? Looking at someone is not the same as seeing someone. Have you ever looked at someone but not really seen them? Maybe you look at the guy on the street corner, but you don't really see him. Or you look at the mom who's struggling with her two kids, but you don't really see her. Or you look at that couple on your street who's always fighting, and you kind of wonder what's going on, but you don't really see them. You see, I want to call that the lens of compassion. The priest and the Levite, they just didn't have it. And one of the things is that we're, one of the reasons that we're not better witnesses to our neighbors is because we just don't see our neighbors. We don't have this lens of compassion at all. We don't understand their perspective. We don't understand where they're coming from. The only way that we're going to be able to complete our mission is if we can really see them. Listen to the difference between the priest and the Levite and Jesus, for example. It, 
in Matthew chapter 9, we read, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, when he saw them, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Do you see the difference? You see the difference when you really see people for where they are, really see people for who they are. Now, I can tell you I am guilty of this. A lot of times I look at people and I look at them and I think, why are you doing what you're doing? How did you get yourselves into that? What were you thinking? But Jesus didn't see them that way. It's Jesus saw people. He saw them with this lens of compassion. When he looked at people, instead he looked at them and he saw them as confused and helpless, like sheep who needed a shepherd. They were people who were confused. They needed some guidance. They needed somebody to come alongside them and to help them. But the priests and the Levite, they just didn't have that. But don't fear, because the hero of our story is about to show up. The protagonist shows up, and look what he has. It says, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And he, when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion when he saw him. You see what I'm saying? There's this difference between looking and seeing. He had compassion when he saw him. I love this because the Greek word for compassion is splonksna. Splunksna. Now, I would ask you guys to participate, but I have been with y'all long enough to know that y'all are not so good. The audience participation would not rank high on y'all's strengths. But Splunksna, if you would try to say it, Splunksna is this sound. You would spit a little bit, maybe on the person in front of you, which is also not terribly COVID-friendly. But Splunksna is this guttural sound that kind of comes from within. Splunksna has to come from deep within. And it's such a guttural sound because, listen, the word literally means a feeling that comes from your gut. Because the difference between whether or not you walk around your neighbor is the fact that when you see them, you see them with your gut. It's this feeling of knowing what they're going through. It's not just this understanding with your head. It isn't even just with your heart that you love them which is great, but when you see them, you feel it in your gut, like, I feel you, I feel what you're going through. So who is this guy that comes along? He's a Samaritan. Our hero is a Samaritan, and it's important. It's this great plot twist because the Jews and the Samaritans, they don't like each other, and that's really kind of an understatement of the year because the Jews and the Samaritans, they have this deep-rooted hate for each other, actually. So why did Jesus make him a Samaritan? It's really important because he wanted this dumb question guy to understand something important. He wanted him to understand that the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor, is intricately tied to the first greatest commandment, love God. Can't have one without the other. And that pagans sometimes just do a better job. They just get it right when we as Christians don't. So what does the Samaritan come along and do? Well, he goes to him. He bandages his wounds. He pours on oil and wine. He sets him on his own animal, and he takes care of him. He brings him to the inn, and he takes care of him. And on the next day, when he's ready to depart, he takes out two denarii, and he gives it to the innkeeper. And he says, take care of him. Whatever you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. So there's a couple of things that I want you to hear. I want you to notice from this little passage. The first one is, 
he went on his way, right? He went on his way. He didn't stop his whole life. And I think that Jesus wants us to notice something. I think what he's saying to us about being a good neighbor, it's not about emptying your whole bank account. It's not about quitting your job, stopping your whole life. That's not what Jesus is saying. He, he might call you to do that, but probably not. He may call you to do that, but really it's just this. Being a good neighbor is about opening your eyes. It's opening your eyes to the simple things that he's asking you to do. The simple things that you can do to really help someone in need. Open your eyes so you can really see people. You can see them with this lens of compassion. So he picks this guy up. He cleans him up. He takes him to the hospital. He gives him, like, what's the equivalent of, like, his credit card to hold as a down payment? And then he says the second really important phrase in here. He says, when I come again. When I come again. Friends, it's about relationship. He's coming again. The mission of witness is about relationship. It wasn't like one and done. Like I've dropped some money here. I've done my thing. I'm out. And it's not gonna, I'm not gonna see him again. It's all about relationship. He realizes he's not just gonna help him once and never see him again. He's coming back and he's gonna be in relationship with him. This is why I love the way that we approach missions at Foundry, that we are investing in long-term relationships with people. It's why I love the way that we go to Haiti, to the same little village year after year after year after year, and we watch kids that come to know Christ at Vacation Bible School, and then they grow up to be teenagers and young adults, and now they are the pastors and the leaders at the church. That's why I love that we've been in a relationship with the Bishop Kofi for 10 years, and we've watched him grow the churches and build relationships with the people there and we know the people by name we're investing in the same people it's why we encourage you to sponsor kids through compassion so that your family and those kids you sponsor can form a relationship you can pray for them and they can pray for you and they can be growing in their faith as you are growing in your faith as a family together over decades we believe in the power of relationship as you witness to one another so Jesus says to the to the man he said now, which of the three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the dumb question guy says, well, it's him, he who showed mercy on him. Listen, he can't even bring himself to say it's the Samaritan. He's just like, it's that third guy. This is the important part. What Jesus says next is the important part of the story. He says, yes, now go and do likewise. And he's not just saying that to the dumb question guy. Jesus is saying that to us also. Go, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise as you travel to Jerusalem, as you travel home from Jerusalem, as you travel around the world, as you travel in your neighborhoods. Wherever you go, go and do likewise. So I want to give us some handles, some simple ways that we can remember to be a servant, to serve and to love our neighbor as we go, as we go through our day and as we go through our week. How can we serve and love others and love our neighbor this week? How can we go and do likewise? Well, the first thing, friend, that we have to do is stop. Stop. We have to stop. Here's the problem. Instead of passing by on the other side of the road, we have to stop. And I honestly believe this is the greatest hindrance to the mission of Jesus is the busyness of his people. Now, I don't ask you to participate much, but how many of you are busy? 
Raise your hand. If your hands are not up, you are lying in church, right? Because you are busy people. We are a busy people. This is a busy culture, a busy state. We are busy, busy, busy people. We are overscheduled, overcrowded, overplanned, busy people. And that is the biggest hindrance to the mission of Jesus. We have to stop. I love this classic psychology study that was done at Princeton a while back at a seminary. These are would-be pastors that they took and they did the study with. And the first thing that they did was they surveyed these um, seminary students on their motivation for going into ministry. They asked them, did you go into ministry because you want to help people or you want to serve God? And then they asked them to prepare a sermon. And they said, you can either prepare a sermon on the role of the pastor or prepare a sermon on this topic, on the Good Samaritan. So they're going to prepare a message on the Good Samaritan. And then they broke them into three categories. And the first category, they said, you are late to deliver your message. You better hurry up and get to the place to deliver your message. The second category, they said, you're on time, just don't dilly-dally. You're on time to deliver your message. The third category, they said, you've got plenty of time. You have like an hour before you have to be on stage to deliver your message. Well, then planted on the campus between the students and the place they were going to deliver their message was a fellow student who was moaning and groaning and appeared to be injured or ill. Now, friends, he is literally... Uh, in their way. He is in a four-foot alleyway that they have to travel through to get there. They literally have to step over him to get to the place to deliver their sermon. And do you know what they discovered, the psychologists discovered? It did not make any difference what the reason that they went into ministry, whether they wanted to help people or whether they wanted to serve God. It didn't even matter. If they were going and rushing on their way to deliver a message literally about the Good Samaritan, it did not matter. The only thing that made any difference at all was time. Only 10% of those would-be pastors stopped to help the man if they were rushing to go deliver their message. If they, had, if they were in a hurry, they didn't stop. But 63% of those in that last category who had time, 63% of them stopped to help the guy. Friends, what that tells us is compassion takes time. We have to build some margin into our schedules, into our lives, if we are going to have time to help the people that, that God literally puts in our path to help and to love and to serve. We have to build some space some time into our schedules. So the first thing we have to do is stop. And then we have to drop. For those of you who don't remember, I used to be a firefighter. So we have to stop. We have to drop. Um, What do I mean by drop? Well, drop is not just about stopping, right? Dropping might mean that you have to inconvenience yourself. You Um, In order to drop, you have to literally get off your donkey and do something. If you go home and read the King James Version, you might know exactly what I mean. In order to get um, help somebody, you have to literally get off your donkey. The Samaritan passing by had to stop, and he had to get off of his donkey, and he had to get his hands dirty, and he had to do something. And so dropping for us might look like that you have to drop your plans for just a minute, and help somebody else, put the needs of somebody else before your needs. It might mean dropping your comfort and your convenience and doing something that feels a little bit uncomfortable to you. So not only do you have to stop, but you have to drop. you got to get off your donkey, you got to get down, and you have to have a relationship with people. Because at the heart of it, dropping is about relationship. The man said, 
I'm coming back. When I come back. So dropping is about building relationships. So first we stop, then we drop, and then, you know, roll would make sense. Roll would make logical sense in so many ways. And I wanted it to be roll. I really wanted it to be roll. Roll would make sense also because we could just roll out some cash. That would be perfect. We could stop, drop, and then roll out cash, right? We could just, it's so much easier for us just to write a check out to somebody who's doing great work and great ministry somewhere else who's serving and doing work in Jesus' name, we could write out a check and roll out some cash and call it a day. That's also quicker than, than what I'm going to tell you to do, right? But if we're going to really love our neighbor and if we're going to serve our neighbor and we're going to do what Jesus is telling us to do, it's personal. It's personal. Your neighbor is right there in front of you. So we have to share I'm going to tell you that this week what's important for us to do is stop, drop, and share. We have to be personally involved. So this week, especially as you go about your neighborhood, I want you to stop, drop, and share. What did the Samaritan share? He just shared some of the stuff that he had. He shared oil. He shared wine. He paid for the the guy's care. He didn't empty his bank account. He didn't change his whole life. He just shared a little bit of what God had given him, right? God gives everything to us. He's just asking us to share a little bit of it with others. In James, we read, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but you do nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Friends, faith, if not accompanied by action, if we don't put our faith into action, it's pointless. It's dead. It does no good to see someone in need, to see them hurting, to see them with needs, and to say, mm, I'm going to pray for you. Um, blessings and peace. Go in peace. Be well fed and do nothing to help. Faith without action is dead. So listen, what are you going to do? Now, I think chances are pretty safe. It's unlikely you're going to drive home after church today and you're going to find a guy who's half beaten up or beaten up and half dead laying in your cul-de-sac this afternoon. If you do, my advice to you is call the police first and then get off your donkey or out of your car and go and help him. But... Listen, what you can do, what you can practically do, is if someone in your neighborhood had a baby, could you, could you take them a meal? Could you take them a casserole? Could you Uber Eats a meal to them? Could you send them a note? Is there somebody who's sick, a family member, someone at work? Could you take them a meal? Could you call them? Could you text them? Is there somebody that you know that is just going through a really tough time that's struggling? What the probably the best thing that you could do to be a good neighbor, to love them, to serve, to be a witness to them is to stop, to drop whatever it is you're doing and just to listen, to have a cup of coffee with them and just to listen. Now, listen, 
Don't be weird about it. Listen, it would be far, it is far worse for you to be on mission and be weird about being mission than to just not be on mission at all. Nobody wants people who are weird. That, is go, that does not help the mission of Christ at all. So what I'm saying to you is how are you supposed to know that your neighbor has a need? How are you supposed to know that they're having a difficulty? Well, friends, you have to get to know your neighbor. You have to hang out with them. You have to be in relationship with them. It is more than each of you just waving at each other as you pass in your cars or as you open up your garage door and you wave before you go in. You have to get to know them. You have to spend time with them. You have to get connected to them. You have to make an effort to talk to them and really know them. Jesus' command wasn't to know your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' command was to love them. But you can't love them until you get to know them. Friends, Jesus said, go and do likewise. That was for us as well. It doesn't have to be overly complicated to live a life on mission, to serve others. We have to be open. We have to open our eyes to really see our neighbors, to be in relationship with them. We have to take time to stop and drop and share the love of Christ and a little bit of the things that we have been given. Let's pray. God, I just pray that you would, God, you would help us to see what you're calling us to do. God, that you would open our eyes. God, that this week you would help us to be intentional about building margin into our lives, God, clearing space in our busy lives so that we could see the people that you are putting in our path, God, that we won't climb over them without help and we won't walk around them, God, but that we will stop. We'll drop what we're doing. We'll share what we have that you have given us, God. And in doing so, we will love our neighbors in Jesus' name. We will love you by loving them. Will you make us responsive, God, that we might respond to all that you are calling us to do. Open our eyes, God, that we might see them as you see them, sometimes confused and helpless. Help us to help them. It is in the mighty name of your son Jesus we pray. Amen.